the reality is the existing unconscious bias and structural impediments have created real world negative impacts to some of these black communities abroad. And there's desire renewed to sort of start to fix that and put in the effort. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaSDoc. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be chatting to this week's guest about what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today. We're counting down to SaaSDoc EMEA, which is taking place in October from the 12th to the 15th. It's gonna be the most actionable online conference for B2B SaaS founders, executive and investors in Europe, Middle East and Africa. Fancy joining us? Use the code SASREVOLUTION for 20% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Frederick Gross, Principal at Storm Ventures. Uh, welcome, Frederick. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me. Great to, great to have you back here. Uh, well, actually, first time on the podcast, uh, we had you as a, a sort of brief guest at, at SaaS.Remote, Remote, um, which was great that you re- recorded a video uh, for us at that time. And we've got you speaking at, at SaaS Doc EMEA uh, coming up uh, uh, as well. Uh, excited for that. We're, we're, um, we do a lot with Storm Ventures uh, as well, kind of o- over the years. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, first time uh, to have you on, on the podcast. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Frederick, um, you know, a little bit about the person, uh, of, uh, you know, who is Frederick Gross? Well, first of all, Alex, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You know, it's been incredible for us at the firm uh, partnering with you all over at SASDOC. You know, we've just found such strong alignment with how you all sort of have, have positioned yourselves as, you know, stakeholders and advisors to this next generation of SaaS businesses across the world. Um, and we've just been tickled and, and incredibly privileged to be able to be part of this community and excited about investing in it further. Um, and so, look, you know, with respect to, you know, me, you know, I, you know, I'm an early stage focused B2B investor, been at Storm for almost five years, one of the principals on the team. Um, you know, outside of, you know, the work that I do at Storm, you know, I'm also one of the co-founders of an organization called Black VC. Um, which is one of the which is the largest black venture network in the United States um, with aspirations to to move and become you know go global as well long term. Um, but then outside of that, you know, I'm just uh, you know an average guy in some ways. You know, I recently got married, uh, so I had a big life uh, change for me. This is uh, during COVID, so it was a Zoom wedding that got to be pivoted over. Um, so got to uniquely experience you know that whole craziness. Um, and then the dad of two dogs as well. So you know we're sitting out this whole uh, COVID uh, remote experience with dogs that are just uh, loving and lapping this up, getting to spend all the time with us. I know, I know you are, congrats on, on the wedding, by the way. I, I, I did not know that. And I did not know you were the dad of two dogs uh, either. Um, uh, and I, I know you're, you're dining in from Seattle uh, at the moment, uh, but right. you're in the Bay Area. Uh, are you, are you uh, like, given uh, the impacts of COVID in many ways, in, in uh, uh, this year, a lot of people have been sort of moving out of cities, moving out of London, moving out of New York, moving out of the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, you know, is that something that that you're uh, like considering, or like being a VC, you feel that you have to be there because really the startup hub is, is still there? Yeah. No, look, I mean, there's there's no doubt that there's become a transition, particularly, you know, I'd argue actually in my peer group. So, you know, people that are anywhere between you know, three to 15 years out of college, right, that have been working in tech now for, for a handful of years, 
we're definitely seeing a, a, a migratory transition outside of the Bay Area. I think the big question in everyone's head is how long will this last? Is it permanent or is it just sort of a blip as people go home to visit their families, loved ones during, you know, what is, you know, without a doubt, a, a stressful time, right? As people want to have that support system. Um, long term, though, I think it actually is an exciting sort of, uh, you know, thing that we're beginning to see that I, I do think is going to continue to reinforce a trend we've been seeing for the last, you know, five, six years here in venture, which is the explosion and the growth of, you know, what VCs have historically thought of as tier two and tier three cities, right? Where, you know, the cost of living in those markets are just dramatically less and lower than, you know, that in the Bay or, or you know, New York or Los Angeles. And the growth and you know investment in cities like Austin, Seattle, uh, Denver, Atlanta, um, and I think we're just going to continue to see that. And I think COVID is sort of creating a little bit of an accelerant. But look, without a doubt, I don't think you know this changes the importance and the unique role that the Bay Area generally plays within the early stage tech ecosystem. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find an environment or community that is at, has as much rich access to capital has as much knowledge and talent that knows how to build hyperscale businesses. Um, and, and a community that's at the end of the day, really sort of focused on giving back to one another, right? And, and I think you know, there's that giving back part that you all tap into so well with SaaStock, building that in into the global ecosystem itself. Um, but I think those unique elements will continue to allow the Bay Area to, to thrive and be successful moving forward. And so we as a firm, you know, we're not we're not setting up and saying, OK, we're or it's time to leave and let's go elsewhere. Um, but we are actively looking in other ecosystems. You know, even prior to covid, I was spending, you know, a week to two weeks, a quarter traveling to other cities and trying to spend time and investing in those communities. So I think, you know, we'll see this continue that to happen. But, you know, I don't think the Bay Area has got too much to worry about long term. Obviously, SaaS talks had to, one impact of COVID, uh, had to uh, pivot to virtual conferences. And uh, one uh, certainly benefit for as a conference organizer is, is that they're uh, much cheaper, uh, it, it, much right. cheaper, cheaper and easier to run. Zoom weddings, is, are they much cheaper than, uh, <laughs> than in person? <laughs> and do you think they're going to be a thing like virtual conferences? Yeah, you know, I do. I, so I think what we're going to see is a Zoom component being added to more weddings because you know you know for us you know and this is you know my personal experience you know we had you know about 150 guests you know expected to come to our wedding but you know with the zoom sort of pivot we ended up being able to bring in over 300 loved ones to at least experience that moment and while we'll certainly have a wedding in person or a sort of you know a coming together of our loved ones when we can and it's safe to do it you know i do think that this opened has opened up a whole new world and sub component to the wedding industry that will be interesting to see and i think we're going to see that within the, the conference industry as well right i don't think remote or at least a video component is going away and i think that's good i mean we want to decrease the barriers of entry for access to knowledge and information i think um and i think for organizations that you know, has part of their core sort of philosophy about building that knowledge set and sharing that with the communities. I mean, why not provide that as a, as a venue for uh, for those users who can't afford to, to make the trip? And I think, you know, there are sectors like sports, I think, like uh, concerts, particularly in music, that are going to continue to grow and see this as a really unique way to provide a new area to drive revenue in the door. You know, we're seeing BTS and K-pop selling, you know, uh, blockbuster concerts in ways that didn't exist, you know, five years ago, two years ago, really. And so I think it's a really exciting time for for digital conferencing and tools like that. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, I agree. And 
I mean, I, I've been putting off my wedding for years, uh, Frederick, uh, because because of cost and the, the number of guests. But uh, perhaps there's no there's no more excuses. Um, so I'll uh, I'll have a chat about that tonight. Uh, but um, uh, so you you split your time. Well, well uh, actually, you 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 work at Storm Ventures, you're principal at Storm Ventures, but also co-founder of Black VC. So I guess like, my question is like, how do you split your time between both? Because it's been a very busy year for you, right? It has been. Yeah. I mean, and look, you know. For us on, on the Black VC side, I mean, things have really, you know, put gone into high gear, right? Particularly post the the unfortunate and tragic death of George Floyd. You know, we really saw this as an opportunity for us to say, hey, look, tech, you know, and, and venture, we've got a, a lot of hard conversations we need to be having right here and now. And and it's important, right? You know, I think it's easy sometimes to get, you know, dragged into, you know, a state of mind where, it, you know, it's easy to say, okay, this is a problem over here. Right. And let's reflect and dissect that problem. And it's sometimes really difficult to sort of ask yourself, what are the unique challenges or problems that might exist in my own industry right here or in my own home and back back uh, backyard? And, and, you know, what I'm really sensing is this transition, right? Movement away from, you know, realizing that you personally not being racist itself is great, but isn't enough. Right. Becoming anti-racist, uh, reflecting on the systems themselves and the structures that might per, you know, prevent equal opportunity and access. Um, and it's been, you know, an interesting period. You know? And so how do I split my time? You know, I think right now the way I look at it is, look, I've got a, a job to do. Right. And a job that I love to do, which is, you know, investing and in finding some of the best, you know, B2B founders out there. They're looking to grow businesses and accelerate that growth. Um, and supporting those founders we've invested in before. And that will never, you know, change in terms of my focus area and time being spent. But like I'm easily spending 20, 30 hours a week in my free time, my weekends, you know, focusing on on Black VC and making sure we're building that out and getting the support we need to to ensure that we create a, a sea change, right? And this doesn't become a moment where we both paused, reflected, and then, you know, three months later, things are exactly the same and there's no been no real change sort of implemented. And so you know, it's it's a constant struggle, but I think there's not a single professional that we all know or venture investor doesn't struggle with that, right? Venture is a unique world where, you know, those who are successful find a beautiful hybrid of merging their personal professional. Um, and Black VC is, you know, the personal, the personal and the professional sort of personified and intermixed with one another. And so, you know, it's a privilege to do that work. Um, and it's something, you know, that we'll continue to work on. Yeah, amazing. And you, you, uh, you, you mentioned that, it's the lar largest uh, venture network in the U.S. Uh, for, yeah. for black VCs. Uh, are you looking to grow that like outside of the U.S. or is, is that enough for you uh, sort of like right now in terms of the, the, the time that you're able to kind of spend on it? Yeah. So, Alex, so like we're today, we're live in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago and New York. We've got D.C. and Atlanta as two other U.S. cities coming live uh, over the next few months. And, and the question for us has always been not about will we go and continue to expand, but when and how do we do it in a scalable um, and efficient and effective way, right? Because you don't want to get too big too quick where you can't sustain and support those communities you're operating in. Um, but we're having conversations with folks in London, folks in Toronto, folks in Paris around, you know, how do we bring in and support those ecosystems? But, you know, the recipe for us has is, is, is always been the same, which is that we don't extend into a geography or an ecosystem unless stakeholders on the ground there raise their hand and say, we want this, we need this. And that's find ways to start to build this out. And in all those regions international I've mentioned, you know, those are the regions we started to have that. And for us, it's just about sort of 
understanding what the unique challenges. You know, one of the things that's distinctly different in a lot of European countries versus here in the United States is that we don't, you know, race isn't talked about in the same way as we talk about it here in America. And we have a long way to go about how we talk about it here in the United States. But, you know, there's a lot of things that make it even more challenging in Europe culturally to figure this out, whether you are even generating the data around, you know, the, the race and ethnicity challenges that could exist in corporate America. Um, and, and so, you know, there are a lot of unique challenges in terms of growing that, but, you know, the good news here is there's a desire and the, the reality is the existing unconscious bias and structural impediments have created real world negative impacts to some of these black communities abroad. And there's desire renewed to sort of start to fix that and put in the effort. Amazing what you're doing there. And I think, you, you know, whilst this year has been full of like tragedy, uh, which has brought some of the, your work that you're doing to the forefront. And, um, you, you know, I think, it, you know, just uh, my hat's off to you in terms of what you're doing. And this is the start. You, you know, as you say, it's not just we, we've had that period over the summer, you, you know, where it, we've been talking about, you know, George Floyd's you know, tragic death that unfortunately you know, has raised it. But is the start of the, you, you know, really kind of bringing this uh, this message across growing the network um, you know talking about uh, being anti-racist and, and so on so um, you know uh, fantastic you know in, ter in terms of what you're doing there um, and you know hopefully we'll see you know more of that as I say like in London and, uh, and these other cities uh, you know across the world. Storm Ventures is in the US but also yep. investing in European companies uh, have invested in a few tool desk uh, Algolia uh, I think. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and recently, uh, Solaris Bank, uh, uh, a fintech uh, uh, sort of play that's based out of Germany. So, yeah, oh, yeah. we're continuing and always looking. Yeah. So I, uh, I remember that. And you, you guys um, invest in startups with the early stage, but uh, those that really, they've already got PMF really, and they're looking to go uh, to get to go to market fit. So that's let's right. talk a little bit about that. Why, why do you invest in, in that stage? Uh, I guess people have got to have their sort of niches. You know, what is go-to-market fit? You know, uh, what are you looking for? Why, why go-to-market fit? Yeah, so look, you know, Storm, we've been investing in B2B companies for over 20 years, right? And, and what we have learned over the years is that, you know, one of the unique challenges for a B2B company that, that, that is distinct, right, for all B2B companies is that, you've got to figure out how to scalably and efficiently sell to your customers, right? Unfortunately, in the enterprise and B2B world, you know, having the best product isn't enough, right? And, and there's plenty of examples. And, you know, if you look over the history of B2B software, where the best product didn't necessarily win, right? It's sort of this beautiful inter, sort of interplay between having a great product and a great go-to-market that works for the target customer set. Um, and so, you know, we've done, and, and one of my general partners, Tehi Nam, you know, one of the founders of Storm has written two books about go-to-market fit and uh, called Survival to Thrival. Um, and, and our focus is really saying, hey, look, let's acknowledge that this is a challenge that's unique. And if we acknowledge that, let's then put in the resources and support systems to help support navigating through that. And ultimately, once you have found this go-to-market fit, we have seen for us, you know, our companies, you know, find a, raising the next rounds of financing significantly easier and their ability to have a successful outcome for all investors and stakeholders and founders and employees generally goes up significantly. And so, you know, we felt like over the last, you know, 21 years that Storm's been actively investing, there hadn't been as much focus on that unique challenge that we just realized was consistent 
Um, and a lot of folks have focused on product market fit, right? And, and that makes a lot of sense. In the early days, you need to nail that. Um, but look, you know, when you really want to scale a business, you've got to nail that go-to-market piece. And so for us as experts, the focus on building scalable sales and marketing and customer success teams and organizations, we felt like we could do a lot more by focusing our firm there and supporting them. And so, you know, we've done that with companies in Europe. We've done that with companies in the United States. Um, obviously, you know, we support that across the board um, and that will continue to be an area where we like to sort of roll up our sleeves and, and focus in. And so I'm excited to continue to dig into that because I feel like, you know, there's a lot we could talk about over go to market fit. And so so let's let's dive into it a little bit, maybe. Yeah, no, no for sure. Well, I, I guess question: what, what are the signs that you, you found go to market fit? Yeah. So the way we like to think about it here at Storm is, you know, you're you're seeing, you know, really good efficiencies in the unit economics and your go to market. Ultimately, you've got a you know, a good, you know, solid matching number. But, you know, for us, really what we're often looking for is have you hit 1 million of net new AR per quarter? You know, this is a really unique sort of point in time where things are usually moving very effectively and you're starting to be able to get into a net new ARR attribution to the underlying business that gets very interesting to later stage investors. Um, but ultimately, you know, what we're also looking for is how efficiently are you doing that when you're adding? So we're, we spend time looking at growth efficiency as well, right? So how much cash are you burning to generate that net new ARR? And for us, we like to keep that around, you know, ideally for every dollar you're putting in, you're generating more than a dollar. But the reality is in startup land, that's not likely to be the, the case, right? You're investing in artificially much more into your sales and engineering functions than you might at scale, right? Um, and so for us, we're often looking for businesses that are in and around a dollar, one to one, right? For every dollar going in uh, to sales and marketing efforts, you're getting a dollar out. Um, and so, you know, that tends to be what we're trying to drive a business towards. And when we're investing, we're not seeing that usually, right? And so what we're doing is then putting in place sort of reporting and accountability measures to understand what's coming out, how efficient is our go-to-market efforts, how big is that pipeline, what's happening as things are moving through, and ultimately getting you to that point where you're generating a million of net new ARR per quarter. How, how do you find these companies that are generating, uh, you, you know, as a, a million net new ARR per quarter um, without giving away your secrets? Uh, uh, so everybody starts looking there, but uh, how do you come across these private companies and uh, with, with these metrics? Yeah, Alex, I mean, this is the challenge, right, of, of every, every VC firm, right? Is how do you do sourcing well and how do you do sourcing well at scale? You know, we have, you know, a variety, you know, of benefits to our model and how we work. First of all, we've got 20, over 20 years of, you know, portfolio founders and uh, network ties that help support and drive top of the funnel for us, right? And and we try to sustain and build and and drive that networking community, right? Whether those are events for that community or opportunities for them to become mentors and advisors to the next generation of portfolio founders coming up through our ecosystem. Um, so that's certainly a, a big way that we source. Um, but then we build partnerships with groups like, like SASDOC, right? Um, we built partnerships with early stage seed funds across the, the United States and globally as well, so that they understand what we're looking for. And, and those are natural partnerships, right? Because those earlier stage funds are focused on the product market fit side, but their area of expertise often sort of starts to, to wane as they move into that next phase of finding pro go to market fit. And so that's where we often start to come in um, and help support them. Um, and then, you know, look, the last way we generate and, and find great deals is just by being very, very clear about what we're looking for, right? You know, those are B2B companies. We're focused. We're not doing consumer deals. You know, we're looking for companies that have, you know, customers and have revenue coming in that helps sort of cut out a, a decent size of the market. 
Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, we're also just spending a lot of time with founders that are too early than where we invest. And we have a deep, mo- you know, a core model of trying to provide value to those founders earlier so that they have a little bit of an anticipation. They know what's coming around the bend, right, in terms of how that next stage investor is going to evaluate them. And we can help them sort of tell that story appropriately, but also just start to measure the right things in their business to make sure those underlying unit economics start to look right as they come and become ready to raise that Series A. Yeah, very smart, very uh, smart, smart approach there. And uh, um, let, let, let's talk about some some of these, or even just one of one one of those uh, sort of companies that uh, Storm have invested in uh, that have found go to market fit. Um, and uh, yeah, just really perhaps how they found go to market fit, and then since that point, you know, um, and since Storm sort of working with them, uh, you know, the let's say some of the traction that they've you know found beyond that point, what you can share. Yeah, sure. So, so I, I'd like, love to share a little bit about an investment we made in Sundoso because I think it it sort of represents, you know, the, a lot of what you're talking about, right? And how our community, you know, Sundoso. So for for those who don't know, is a sending platform. And so if you think about how do you send, you know, gifts or uh, you know, corporate swag to uh, your network, your community, or in your go to market to try to sort of accelerate leads through your pipeline, right? And so a common use case is someone might use it to say, hey, thank you for signing up for a webinar. Here's a cupcake. Um, And, you know, they'll get that sent in the mail and that'll increase then the show rate up to the webinar, which then obviously it becomes on that company to prove what their product and, you know, their salesmanship, you know, that they have a product that fits a given need. Um, And Sendoso, you know, when we first met them, you know, we met them because we had two portfolio companies using the product who loved it. Um, and when we have founders in, in our community sending us a deal saying, hey, look, this is interesting. You have it for multiple sort of uh, individuals and vectors. So you, you realize across sectors, that this is providing unique value. You know, we got really excited. And so we started to lean in. We learned more about what Chris and the team were doing at Sendoso. We decided to invest. You know, it was still, you know, sub a million of ARR when we did come and join that journey. And and look, you know, they had a product that, you know, originally was all about coffee gift cards originally, you know, for, for doing little meetings and thank yous and has evolved into a major platform um, that provides a lot of value to, you know, hundreds of customers across the United States. Um, and it's just been an incredible journey. And so when we invested, you know, a lot of the focus was around, okay, you've got this crazy, you know, set of leads coming in. Let's make sure we're, you know, servicing those leads efficiently. Let's make sure we understand how we're going to do this, how we're going to scale across this business. And then let's also understand the unit economics of the unique sort of challenges of this business, right? They've got an incredible, you know, successful company and, and growth, but they also deal with a warehouse and goods and shipping. And that's, you know, can be a nightmare, right? For, for you know, a team, you know, of equal quality management, that team's been able to manage transitions to their business successfully. They've been able to grow and cater. Customers have great, you know, customer happiness and and been able to keep, you know, churn and other metrics to, you know, a, a good level that we would want to see in a business like them. And so they've certainly, you know, found their go-to-market fit. They've certainly, you know, gone past the point that we would be looking for to establish that. And they're in the space of their growth where they're bringing on growth capital to, to continue to cater um, and delight customers at scale as they close bigger and bigger deals and work with larger and larger corporations. You, you mentioned um, Stormer recently invested in Solaris Bank, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like, uh, out of interest, how many investments has Storm made this year? Yeah, so we've made, I believe, 
about four uh, invest four investments a year to date, maybe five, um, but I believe it's four. Um, and three of those have been post COVID, right? So during this era where we have not been able to physically meet companies and founders in person, um, which certainly created a unique dynamic change. But you know, for us, you know, the reality is, you know, we've got to find ways to adapt and and continue to be able to to you know cater to our customers here, which are startup founders ultimately. In the same way that every company in our portfolio has had to pivot and cater to their customers in a different way as well. Did Did you ever think uh, had Storm ever thought like a few before COVID that you would invest in founders without meeting them? No, absolutely not. I mean, I mean, I don't think we thought we would do it in the the way in which we're doing it, the scale we're doing. You know, it's funny though. Prior to COVID, we'd done it once before, um, and so it's we'd invest in a company in Atlanta um, where we had strong network ties that had you know that knew those that those founders, um, and you know we ultimately believed that like we could make a decision without it. But I think what's changed is our willingness to make that decision across you know check sizes, right? You know, we might have been more cautious to go too big uh, of an early check in a team we hadn't met um, prior to COVID. But I think, you know, we've had to just operate and transition and think through what does this mean to our workflow? Um, and I'd say the biggest change for us is we probably just spent a little bit more time doing personal and professional references on the founders, right? Because we don't have that ability to be in person and just, you know, see and build a relationship uh, in the same way that we you can. Because while Zoom and video lets you get 90% there, there's a 10% that's that's materially not there uh, in terms of building that rapport and that relationship as you're doing diligence. How, how when you, when you're doing due diligence in, in person uh, with uh, somebody that you're going to invest in, a family you're going to invest in, you know, are you going out for dinner and drinks and trying to get to know them? Are you you know are you dating uh, for a, for a, for a period? You know, this is a relationship that's going to last for possibly a decade or longer, right? In terms of the working relationship, and hopefully will be a professional relationship that will last. You know for you know perpetuity to some extent right um and so you definitely want to build the relationship because you want to know how to work together right how to be able to support one another and and for us support the team and the other founders and executives that are likely already and will likely be joining soon right and so you know it is it's it's a tough sort of plunge you've got to take you know we we get into marriage this is a marriage you know people say this all the time with venture and it's true right you know once you bring a vc on that cap table they're with you for the, you know, until that cap table, you know, becomes something very different, right? Or, or sort of disappears altogether for, you know, for, for hopefully a really great reason um, as it's structured today. And, and so, you know, we try to spend as much time as we can to de-risk the investment so that founders get to go and understand who we are, but also that we understand who they are um, and what their goals are, uh, both professionally and personally. Um, and make sure that, you know, our relationship that we're going to be going on together can achieve those long term for, for both groups. We, 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 know, we know you invested in, in the U.S. or so some invested in the U.S. and, and, and Europe um, with, you know, everybody being online sort of right now, if, uh, you know, uh, an interesting uh, SaaS, B2B SaaS company from Brazil or, you know, let's say from Singapore or Australia, you know, contacts you, they've got the right metrics. Is, is this something that you previously may have passed them because it wasn't the right geography, but now you would consider? 
So for us, there's no difference. You know, we would like consider you no matter what. I think the, you know, the only metric we tend to have is we want to make sure that they have a desire to go to market in the United States as well, right? Because a lot of what we do is really focused on building that US go to market versus an international one, though we have no qualms with someone having a, and growing and investing in uh, a domestic or a regional go to market that may not be the United States. Um, but ultimately, it can be difficult for us to, 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 to invest and deploy if we don't believe there's a strong market opportunity in the United States as well to sort of execute against. Um, I think for companies, you know, that are, you know, have positive unit economics, um, you know, are growing, you know, tripling, you know, year over year. Um, I think that what they'll find is a broader willingness for all in venture investors to invest or at least look at the deal um, in a way that, you know, it may have been harder to, because again, the requirement that you're meeting in person no longer exists, right? Um, and so I hope that we'll see this as an opportunity as we reflect back in, you know, three, two years or so, and we'll see this as a inflection point where investment starts to, you know, more equitably go across the, the United States, but also globally. Um, and I think we're seeing early signs that that's likely going to happen. You know, I'm talking to investors all the time that are meeting with founders all over the place. I mean, today already I've met with founders um, in what? six different time zones, um, you know, and, and distributed teams all over the, the world. And so I think it's an exciting period. Um, you know, I think there are other unique challenges with COVID um, that, that some international businesses may have to sort of reflect and, and manage through. Um, but those are challenges, frankly, everybody is trying to evolve and manage through. And so, you know, I do think this is a great opportunity and timing for, for international based companies. What, what are your personal kind of biggest lessons learned or, or sort of takeaways <clears throat> over the last sort of few months uh, that you'd be happy to share apart from how yeah I mean, yeah i mean so first of all i mean look i think no one can predict anything right now right i think we're, we're living through a time where you know anyone who's telling you they know what the next three months or six months is going to have um is quite frankly you know, just just wrong. I think we are all trying to figure it out. I think there's a lot happening and it's complicated, right? Um, and so, you know, what that translates to then as an investor, you know, then I'm focused on, you know, A, cash is still king, right? So at the end of the day, like maintaining runway um, is important for any and every business. Um, investing though right now in, you know, driving that top line is also important, right? I think at the onset, there was a lot of sort of let's pause that investment in sort of that go-to-market. Let's see and wait and, and make sure we just have enough runway and not increase that burn. Um, but, you know, the reality is SaaS, uh, particularly B2B, uh, SaaS has been, you know, doing quite well during this period still. And I think there's this question in everyone's head is, is COVID creating a perfect environment that's accelerating the digital transformation of the enterprise? And I think the answer is yes, it is. Um, that being said, you know, how long will that acceleration sort of persist for? And, and what does that mean? And will this cohort of customers perform like previous cohorts? Or will we see churn in a way impacting this cohort differently, right? And I think those are the kinds of questions we need to be thinking about as we start to think about scaling and building out systems that are tougher to unwind in go-to-market activities. And so that's something we're talking to all of our portfolio companies and founders about. And I urge every founder out there to be reflecting and thinking about um, but, but look, you know, I think it's, I mean, this is a, is an interesting period we're operating within, um, and we're going to have a lot of lessons learned. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, the other piece that we're making sure every founder hears is like, this is a period where we've got to move fast, you know, being slow and making decisions could hurt. 
um, that business uh, in any way. And so as we start to see any potential slowdowns impacting businesses, we've got to be willing to move quickly. And the good news here is every founder, at least in our portfolio, and I think in a lot of portfolios out there, now have the muscle memory. They've gone through this work three months ago to do the planning and everything. And so the good news is we should just, just keep those plans active and operational so that we have a plan um, that we can sort of fall back to should the world start to, to change and look different. Amazing. Is it you, your like, final question here, Frederick, just conscious of, of, of time. Um, you work full time at Storm Ventures. You work 20, 30 hours a week, you know, outside of work on Black VC. How do you uh, protect yourself from burnout? You know, how do you stay healthy and sane, uh, you know, whilst doing your, your two jobs, I guess? Yeah, I mean, look, A, I'd say it's something I constantly struggle with, right? I am constantly asking myself, how do I ensure I don't burn out? How do I make sure that I'm taking care of myself, right? I'm eating well, you know, exercising, trying to live a balanced life to some extent. And I'd be the first to say, I don't think I've lived a balanced or healthy life over the last uh, three months. I think that's probably true for a lot of founders out there, but even probably more true for a lot of, you know, at, you know, black Americans and, and black persons uh, across the, the the world right now. Um, and so the reality is, you know, I, it's, it's been difficult. I think, you know, for me, you know, I'm lucky that I have a great support system, whether those are my partners at Storm, whether that's, you know, the, the colleagues and the folks that, you know, I work with every day at Black VC that help make Black VC come together and be successful. Um, or whether that's my wife, right, who's there as a rock to help support me and, and sharing. And I think you know, one of the things I've really strived to do is be more transparent, be more willing to share when I'm going through a tough period or struggling. Um, and it's really tough, right? I think, you know, there are these, you know, tropes around, you know, toxic masculinity um, and how that plays out in, in all, you know, high achieving individuals. Um, and it's on our job to share, right? It's on our job to reflect and take a moment. And so I've tried to meditate more in the last few months. Um, and I've tried to, you know, spend more time with, you know, coaches and acknowledge that, you know, I can only grow when I reflect on my needs and, and I take a step back and pause for a moment and then think more. Um, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. Um, and I don't think I've done a great job uh, recently, but, but look, you know, half the battle is acknowledging when it's, out of whack and then getting it back into uh, a sort of equilibrium um, and coming up to Seattle, as you mentioned at the onset here, my parents and my twin sister live up here in Seattle. And so that's also been a good sort of recharging of the, the battery during, you know, we've had here in the US with a long weekend with the Labor Day holiday. Um, and so that certainly has helped as well. Alex, I'll turn the tables on you. How do you do this? How do you get de-stressed? Yeah, uh, it's, I, I mean, some, sim some similar things, uh, but I mean, yeah exercise for like five days a week um uh you, you know that really i do it before work uh, and that yep. sets me up for, for the day um you know so whatever, whatever comes that day just kind of like you've already got a lot of that kind of stress and tension out through the exercise and and, and kind of feel good and got the got the blood pumping i'm really bad at, at meditating and going, going through like hard uh, I, I did 10 minutes this morning but the last time i did it i can't remember it was a few weeks ago so i'm, I'm super inconsistent I do feel the benefit when I, when I do it, but I, I want to form that consistency, which I'm pretty poor at. Trying to get a good night's sleep, uh, again, that's kind of really kind of up and down. And uh, being a founder or just, you know, I guess kind of anyone in these times, it, it, you know, it can be challenging. Um, I think, yeah, uh, like having a coach and uh, uh, as well has kind of like really helped over, you know, over the last six months. So just putting in, uh, I, I guess, a bit more kind of discipline and routine, you know, for 
of peak performance into my structure. And even I've got a, a Google sheet where it's like, I've got like certain habits and I'm ticking off kind of each day, you know, have I done that? You, you know, have I switched off my you know, digital screens at 9.30 to help me, you know, sleep better? Um, but mm-hmm. usually it's not because uh, I'm watching Netflix or, or whatever, right? Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely trying much better than, the, than I was and taking much better care of myself because it, it's hard running a business, right? And certainly during COVID or any, any time, right? It absolutely it is hard. Um, and I think, you know, I'm glad you asked the question because I think we all need to be thinking about it. And I think this is the, a time where we've got to be thinking about it more than ever. Um, and I think as any individuals, you know, whether you're founders or board members, you know, it's our job right now to be, I think, more empathetic towards this question for our, our for our companies and our employees and constituents. I mean, they're going through a hard time being, you know, in social isolation in many instances, having children going back to school. But you know, effectively now being an employee and a teacher, um, it's, you know, we've got to be thoughtful of how do we de-stress and how do we balance things out a little bit more um, and come together as a community ultimately, um, whether that's here in SAS or whether that's a community um, regionally or locally, I think we've all got to learn and come together and, and learn from one another best practices that are working. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Well, Fred, Frederick, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, uh, as always. Um, thank you so much for sharing with the with the SASLOC community. And we're looking forward to seeing you speak at, at SASLOC EMEA uh, in October. Uh, so Frederick Rose, Principal of Storm Ventures and co-founder of Black BC, uh, thank you for being a guest on the SAS Revolution Show. Alex, thanks so much for having me. And if you're looking to learn more about me, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at uh, Frederick, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-K-G, 191. Um, or you can follow and find me at stormventures.com. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. If you found it useful, why don't you join us at SaaS Locomia, which is our next online conference. We're expecting around 4,000 SaaS founders, execs, and VCs from the EMEA region, 12th to the 15th of October. It's online, so just grab your laptop, your desktop, uh, and join us. Uh, It's going to be a great event full of uh, lots of content, workshops, roundtables, networking, matchmaking. You've got to be there if you're in uh, in SaaS uh, in EMEA uh, or interested in the EMEA region and SaaS companies and uh, and VCs within that region. So want to join us, don't forget to use our code for a podcast listeners, SaaS Revolution for 20% off your ticket. That's SAS Revolution for 20% off your ticket. Hope to see you there.